The following podcast may contain explicit content, which is, I suspect, why many of you are tuning in in the first place. It's Friday, June 17th, 2022, from Peachfish Productions. It's The Gist. I'm Mike Pesca. Singer, songwriter, cultural icon, flautist Lizzo put out this song Friday. We CEOs and dancing like a CEO. We about to throw them bows. Let's fuck it up. Where my girls, where my girls at? put out this statement Monday, quote, it's been brought to my attention that there is a harmful word in my song, girls. Let me make one thing clear. I never want to promote derogatory language. As a fat black woman in America, I've had many hateful words used against me, so I understand the power words can have, whether intentionally or, in my case, unintentionally. And therefore, as NBC reported, Three-time Grammy winner Lizzo is changing her tune. The singer is removing what's considered an ableist slur from her song, Girls. The lyric, not tune, she changed was the word spaz, which I always thought was short or slang for spasm, but disability activists claim it comes from spastic diplasia, a form of cerebral palsy. The new lyric was, do you see this shit? Hold me back which had to be bleeped or dashed out in most broadcasts and print media, lest it offended the old regime of what we were once told to be offended by. But in a statement you'll only hear on the gist, we can report that Lizzo is more attuned to harms inflicted by careless rhetoric than the Proud Boys are. Also, the Department of Justice, who are just reporting the facts on the ground in their indictment of this man. Prosecutors say they have evidence Pozzola is also a Proud Boy member. His nickname is Spaz, and he is alleged to have bragged about a window he knocked out in the Capitol with the shield belonging to a Capitol Police officer. Prosecutors also say Spaz was allegedly part of a group that threatened to kill anyone they could get their hands on inside the Capitol, including Vice President Mike Pence and Speaker Nancy Pelosi. As for... Spaz trying to get out of jail until his hearing. A judge didn't want any part of that. He said, I'm not going to make any decisions on whether or not we're going to release you before trial. Pozzola actually has a hearing on Monday to determine whether or not he will be released before trial. WUSA CBS 9 Washington there exhibiting quite a bit of familiarity with Dominic Pozzola's alias. Pozzola has been held in a D.C. jail since a week after the riot, and this case is once again in the news as he and other Proud Boys were hit with new charges this week of seditious conspiracy and one count of conspiracy to prevent an officer from discharging any duties. Prosecutors have asked the January 6th committee for their full transcripts to aid in prosecution, which they claim is stalled. Quote, the select committee's failure to grant the department's access to these transcripts complicates the department's ability to investigate and prosecute those who engage in criminal conduct in relation to the January 6th attack on the Capitol. The committee says, yeah, we'll get back to you in due time. We want to keep those transcripts close to maximize their impact on the public. The federal indictment against one of the first rioters to breach the Capitol refers to him as Pozzola, Dominic, a.k.a. Spaz, a.k.a. Spazzo, a.k.a. Spazzolini. Not nice. Also not nice, conspiring to overthrow the government. On the seditious conspiracy charges, Pizzola faces serious jail time. If convicted, it will mean up to 20 years in prison before he walks his fine ass out that door. On the show today, it's an N-20-TIG, which will somehow include a couple of Danish and Canadian diplomats 
patronizing Vladimir Putin. But first, the film Dinner in America starts with a really off-putting scene of overly lit institutional spaces that includes a participant in a drug trial suggestively fingering her meal of various slabs of meat. And if that sounds unpleasant, yes, it's supposed to be. In fact, the movie intentionally embraces a repellent aesthetic for the first 20 minutes to a half hour, and that's one of the reasons why this story of a punk rocker and a repressed young woman is a little challenging, but it becomes a lot of fun, and you're drawn in specifically by the charms of the stars Kyle Gallner and Emily Skeggs. They join us to talk about the film. It's Buffalo 66, Welcome to the Dollhouse, Napoleon Dynamite Influences, and doing press two years after a movie makes its debut at Sundance, three or four years after filming Dinner in America up next. Boys and girls in America have such a sad time together. Sophistication demands that they submit to sex immediately without proper preliminary talk. Not courting talk, real straight talk about souls, for life is holy and every moment is precious. Jack Kerouac said that. The Hold Steady stole the first few lines as a title for their album, Boys and Girls in America. I was thinking of Boys and Girls in America as I was watching the movie Dinner in America because there is a boy, there is a girl, and there is some real straight talk, and then... I don't want to give it away, but it eventually uh, does lead to uh, an amorous pairing. The main characters are Simon and Patty. They're played by Kyle Gallner and Emily Skeggs, and those two thespians join me on this day. Guys, thanks for coming on The Gist. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. So you no doubt were uh, infused with the spirit of Kerouac when you were making this, right? Subconsciously, yes, for sure. So Kyle, you've been in a lot of movies that have been in Sundance and South by Southwest and so forth, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've been up uh, Sundance probably four or five times and South by once or twice. And Emily, you're well known. You're a great theater actress. What about movies? Have you done the indie circuit other than this one? I did. I had a movie at Sundance called The Miseducation of Cameron Post um, before yeah. uh, we did Dinner in America at Sundance. And I'd done a couple of, I did a web series or a, a mini series on ABC called When We Rise, um, which was great. But yeah, I was mostly a theater actor before I moved out to LA. So this is, I don't know, maybe Kyle, since you've had so many movies. I guess they made this in 2018 and brought it to Sundance in 2020, and now we're doing press on it because it's actually being released. Seems like a long lag time, <laughs> is it? Yes. Uh, yes. 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 <laughs> <laughs> um, I think there were many, many things. Um, you know, we were up at Sundance, and days after COVID became a problem, you know, it 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 really started to blow things up, and then. You know, we we have a very abrasive first 20 minutes of the film, and I think a lot of people, um, I think it shook a lot of people. I think a lot of people were uh, scared to touch it. Um, And it was, you know, it was, it's been a long road kind of pushing a a boulder up a hill, but we've, um, we're finally out. (laughs) We're we're finally, we're finally here. So yeah, it's a little strange. having it be this long, it's usually about like a year. A year's kind of standard. Um, but to have it have it like this is is pretty 
pretty unusual. The cool thing about it was that we were able to zoom into so many international festivals that went online because of the pandemic and were able to participate and like create a fandom across the world in a way we wouldn't have been able to, we wouldn't have been able to fly to Bulgaria and do that Q&A, but we were able to zoom in. Yeah, it opened things up and it. It, it really opened things up in an interesting way because you have, you know, you have people who love films that are like festival goers, you know, but there's a lot of people that can't just take a trip to Utah or take a trip to these other places. So the fact that these festivals open their doors and, you know, someone living in in Idaho could watch, you know, a festival that took place in Florida, you know, the people, it, it allowed access in a, in a different way. Right. But when was the last time, I don't know, maybe you're doing press for this now, but when was the last time you two guys were actually together? Before the current uh, whatever press you've been doing uh, in the recent days? Too damn long. Yeah? (laughs) Uh, For press was probably Sundance, right? Actually in a room together? Yeah, I don't think we've seen each other since Sundance. And when you're doing a movie, it's so intense, especially when one or, I think there's no scene without either one of you, and most of the scenes are with both of you. Yeah, we're in, we're in, we're in every single. I mean, we were, we we were together every day. And it, was when it was like the summer weekends, camp. Yeah, it was super <laughs> fun. And then the weekends came around, and we would, you know, we'd hang out and cook dinner and just go adventure around Detroit, and it was a lot of fun. Yeah. So I I was trying to figure out what where it was set, and then it started to be uh, mentioned that it was Michigan. There are a couple things I was trying to figure out, and maybe there's no real answer, like it doesn't have to actually be literally have taken part in this world. What is the year it was set in? I have a guess. And would it have, it would have had to have been somewhere in September because there's football on Sunday, but it's also pretty warm and everyone's wearing t-shirts all the time. So what's the answer, you and, the, you and Adam, the uh, director, did he ever have an answer for those things? I think the football thing is a is a no comment, and then the um, <laughs> um, I you know the movie has kind of a timeless ish, almost like a '90s vibe to it. Um, the I would say the only thing that gives us away is there's one mention of a cell phone, mm-hmm. and that kind of dates it a little bit. Other than that, I think it's sort of it's sort of ambiguous. I think it's it's supposed to be present day, but feel like it could be any time and anywhere yeah. too. And um, I think a lot of folks don't know that like some people do live without cell phones and kind of off the grid in that way, like Patty and Simon do. And so this yeah. movie is like a fun perspective into the modern times with uh, I don't know marginalized folks. I was thinking. I was thinking that. Exactly. That maybe these were the kind of people who maybe with a DIY aesthetic and they like Polaroids for certain reasons. Um, And maybe it was set in the present and there just wasn't an embrace of technology. But the important thing, I guess, was it's not exactly a fable, but it doesn't really matter. And I don't know that having cell phone technology, for instance, there are a lot of movies that would be ruined by just the presence of a cell phone, but this isn't one of them, actually. It's not like the characters are far apart and having to talk about anything that they couldn't communicate with, uh, that they couldn't communicate otherwise. No, I, I, I agree. I mean, the only time really a phone is used is, is in the basement scene with, with me and me and Patty when I call my band. And then, you know, there's, there's, there's nothing in this film that's like technology dependent. You know, so nothing, nothing, like you said, nothing's really, you don't really need to see any of that. I, you know, Patty's parents probably don't trust her with a phone anyway. And so, <laughs> and Simon probably rocks a beeper still or, or like something, 
something crazy. The other part of timelessness is I thought Patty's parents were, for people like that to be suspicious of, quote, rock and roll, I mean, these are John Waters characters from the 70s, but they clearly weren't. So in reality, if you really figure, uh, work it out, they'd have to be kind of religious fundamentalists, but we don't really see other signs of that to be so against the demon seed of rock and roll. So I guess I just default to, it's more timeless than supposed to be realistic. What do you think, Emily? I mean, Mike, you're in Brooklyn. When's the last yeah. time you hung out in Michigan? Like, <laughs> That's right. You know, there's still folks out there, people I... I know people in my family who are like, oh, no, no, rock, no, no, or oh, no, no, weed, no, 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 that's the devil's lettuce. You know, like people are still uh, stuck in the Stone Age, I think. Uh-huh. Or the Unstoned Age, as the case may be. Yeah, exactly. Let's do this thing. Let's count flags. Uh, Emily, your shirt, and then in flower pots, and then you go to a post office, which could have had anything on the wall, but it was a flag motif. And they were, they were uh, in, in even in the Playboy that Simon shares with the guy in the liquor store. There's a flag. Did you did you notice all the red, white, and blue around you? I mean, America's in the title. Yeah, that was a pretty specific conversation between um, between um, JP and Adam and um, and the powers that be. They, they you know they they really worked hard to create a very specific look and color scheme and and everything for the movie. And I think it carries a lot of the irony too about America in the movie. Like, you know, it's illegal 100%. for us to like throw out anything with a flag on it and yet we print like flag napkins for your 4th of July picnic every year that people yeah. smear across their face and then toss in the trash. Bikinis. Yeah, right, bikinis. <laughs> you know what I mean? Flag flag bikinis. Like <laughs> So you did mention that it's a pretty aggressive movie in the first half hour. That is true. Largely because of you and your character, I think. You're at 11, Kyle, in the first half hour. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, really the only gripe, which you don't hear that much of if anybody really complains in a way, and and it usually ends up being like, man, the first 20 minutes were hard, but by the end, you know, it really really won me over, but it's – it's that thing that I think sometimes people want to put things into a box, right? Like the back three quarters is pretty funny and it shifts and it changes. And they see the first part of it and they're like, well, what happened there? You know, but realistically, it's like, well, that first part has to be that way. Because if we don't paint this world, if we don't paint Patty's world and the way Simon lives his life in the way that we do, then these characters don't have anywhere to go. You know, you don't get to see what these people are really pushing up against. You don't get to see what, you know, what their lives are like. And I think I think those first 20 minutes are are important. And I think the, you know, making you uncomfortable in those first 20 minutes is the point. You know, nobody should be sitting there being like, wow, this is funny. It's like, no, 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 no. You know, the things people say, the things people do that are making you feel uncomfortable and sweat, that's the point. You know, you shouldn't be this. It, it's not like some joyous ride for the first twenty minutes. You know, you're 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 showing the way the world. The kind of how Emily was saying is, it's like how many people are still stuck in the Stone Age, right? They're sitting there and they're like, "Oh, rock music." It's, you know, so many people would rather dig their head into the sand and be like, "Well, racism doesn't exist," or people don't say these words anymore, or people don't act this way. When really, it's like that's still very much the way this world operates. You know, and and yeah, Simon Simon definitely has a hand in um, that first twenty minutes <laughs> of of making of making you sweat a bit. 
are you playing the characters any differently? I mean, you have different scenes to play and different stimuli that you're dealing with. But was there, uh, in terms of acting choices for either of you, you were... I mean, Emily, you were a little more raw, I think, in the early dinner scenes, and you didn't calm down necessarily, but it wasn't quite the exposed nerve uh, that I was seeing in the first 20 minutes when you were dealing with your parents in just a really tense way. I think that Patty and Simon bring humanity to each other and sort of like heal each other. And so when you see them before they've kind of gotten to know each other and met each other, it's not it's their really broken selves. And it's really once they meet that they find the value in themselves and each other. And so it's interesting. I think like sometimes I feel like the first 20 minutes is like a cartoon. And then the last half hour is like a a cinematic like marvel. Did you, Kyle, think or contemplate specifically De Niro and Taxi Driver? Were you thinking Travis Bickle <laughs> with the hair and the jacket and everything else? <laughs> we definitely talked about it. Uh, there were definitely conversations. You know, Adam had a pretty clear idea of what he wanted. We know we wanted, like the mohawk, we know we wanted it to look pretty ratty. And and it, it was it was just piecing it together, really. And, and it, I guess, kind of was a little luck of the draw that it was a little De Niro-y. But... Um, but I mean, who better to uh, steal from? I guess if you're gonna if you're gonna steal, steal from the greats. You know what I mean? Yeah, he's the iconic, off-putting, dangerous loner. Yeah, hundred percent. <laughs> and Emily, with uh, with you, I definitely. Well, this wasn't just uh, a a resonance. I think it was pretty specifically referenced the Don Wiener from Welcome to the Dollhouse. I saw a lot of that, right? Oh yeah, yeah. That was a <laughs> that was a big resource for me for sure. And who else? Any other icons from cinematic history were in there in the character? Yeah, there's a little bit of Adrian in Rocky. Oh my God, working in the pet store, like really dowdy. And then uh, she's mostly a lot of me. (laughs) (laughs) How is she you? Well, I I also am not allowed to have things turned on, appliances turned on at home when I'm alone. That's an exaggeration, but I do burn a lot of things. I'm very easily Uh um, uh, distracted. (laughs) Is your Sunday and Monday pill kit as well stocked as your character's was? <laughs> I I would say I'm um I'm I'm better diagnosed and less medicated uh-huh. than Patty, right. and I um had like really amazing supportive parents who like encouraged me to like be weird and unique and, and be who I am. So I had the better like end of the spectrum for Patty, I think. But um, yeah, there was like a point in my life when I felt very much um, like her. And so to go back to playing that character and sort of revisit that part of me that I'd kind of don't look on fondly, (laughs) kind of um, have a lot of, um, had a lot of shame about and kind of to relive that time and, and find a lot of joy in the qualities that I thought were like stupid and naive and unnecessary and like that I kind of pushed out to conform to society. It was, I didn't expect, when I first read the script, I, I didn't expect it would be such a like transcending experience, but it really was. You know, Kyle, you've been in a lot of movies. You've played against, you've had leading roles. You've played against leading women. Do you know the chemistry on the screen is going to happen uh, in proportion in relation to what you're feeling when you're acting it in the moment? I mean, yes, editing can be an incredible weapon. You know what I mean? It's it's a, it's an amazing tool. Um, 
I've been pretty fortunate mm-hmm. that I've gotten along with pretty much everybody that I've 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 worked with. Um, but there are differences, you know. People people connect in different ways. People get along in different ways. People work in certain ways, and you know, me and Emily just we we got to Detroit. Adam picked us up. He took us out to dinner. We went to a diner. But me and Emily just, we we hit it off like right away. And I think we made, I think we knew we had something very cool and we and we we made it an important thing to make sure we spent time together and got to know each other. And we really built that trust. So by the time we started shooting, after that first day of working together, it was just sort of like, let's go, like, let's get crazy. We were just in sync with each other, you know, and we were really good friends and 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 it just it just turned into something really special, you know. We pushed each other every day and we trusted each other to, you know, to pick the other one up when we tried something. I mean, these characters are so heightened in a way, you know, that it's 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 uncomfortable sometimes to take it to these to these places that you don't know if if you're doing too much or if it's going to be ridiculous. So, you know, having somebody standing across from you and also behind the camera and then literally JP also shooting it literally behind the camera, you know, having all these people that you really, really trust to not let you down, basically, it really helps you take it to these places. And, and you know, I, I owe a lot of what's up on that screen to, you know, the team and to Emily for always, always being there and and me always feeling supported to be able to push this as far as it needed to go and to try different things. And, um, you know, I really do think you, you probably only get the opportunity to make a film like this and have it feel this way with your co-stars and with everybody around, I, I think in your career, you probably only get a few of these, you know what I mean? Where it sort of just all clicks. And, and this was one of them, you know, and it, and it, it really helped me go to where I needed to go. The name of the movie is Dinner in America. It stars Emily Skeggs and Kyle Gallner, who joined me. Thank you both very much. Thank you, Mike. Thank you. Thank you, Mike. Thanks for having us. And now the spiel, specifically an Antwin Tig, our name for recurring bad breath not due to illness. I've said that before. Our name for a 21-day period. Not just our name. It is so written in the ancient scrolls. In each Antwin Tig, we correct mistakes. Like when I called Netanyahu and Omer prime ministers, not presidents. Lateral move there. But I definitely promoted Chesa Boudin as mayor at some points in my spiel about him, even though I did call him a DA correctly at many other points. Let's talk to, I think, the most objected to interview over the last three weeks, Anna Kier on our Reddit page, which is The Gist. Go to the, the Gist on Reddit. 
Longtime fan, I don't always agree, but I love the intellectual curiosity and integrity Mike brings to things, and of course his puns are his most beautiful assets. And yet this, my interview with Judy Gold, was the worst, most coherent interviewee I heard on the show. Is comedy a weapon? She says yes. Is it harmless? She says yes. Mike was game, glad he used proxy critiques. And actually in this space, perhaps I uh, flattered myself or protected my ego too much because most of the other critiques were a little more caustic about my role in that, so I'd like to address it. I did think, I went into the Judy Gold interview who wrote a book about when they come for the comedians, uh, silencing comedy and so forth. I came into that thinking, well, I think the best thing that I could do is present the arguments of others, not to straw man them, but some people call it steel man the arguments, so that she could engage in things that Roxane Gay wrote in the New York Times or things that her fellow comic Michael Ian Black said on a podcast. And though she heard those critiques, I would say, yes, she didn't really engage. She retreated to a little bit of, come on, take a joke. And I don't want to criticize Judy. To me, Judy and I were there to talk about how she sees comedy in the last, I don't know, 40 years of her working, how she sees the role of laughter in her life as a uh, much discriminated against lesbian who eventually became one of the old guard who says toughness is important and uh, the ability to understand and roll with humor makes you a better person. So I understand a few listeners wrote in and said, how could you not ask her about Netflix and the comedy specials of Dave Chappelle and Ricky Gervais, them making transgender jokes. Well, the Gervais one didn't even come out, but judging from everything else you said, were you surprised at what Judy Gold might have said about anyone objecting to any joke? But yeah, I too said, I, I love Judy Gold. I thought that she was fun to talk to, but I will be the first to back up those claims. She didn't really engage in the critiques like I would have liked her to, and apparently like you would also. Acknowledged. Zvi Rosen writes, Hi Mike, really enjoying season two so far. In the May 31st episode, you mentioned both Springfield Rifle and the invention of basketball by James Maysmith at the Springfield YMCA. On behalf of Springfield, Massachusetts natives, we would like to request that should this happen again, please mention that Dr. Seuss was born there. This will complete the trifecta of reasons anyone has heard of Springfield. Look, John, don't you think that complaint is something of a trifle? I mentioned James Naismith. I mentioned the rifle. Shall I list off each house, each tree, and each glade, every park from Van Horn to King Philip's stockade? I shouted out many men in your town, yet still you're not cheery, for I neglected John Brown and Dr. Timothy Leary. I left off the list each last uncle and auntie to say nothing of former NFL great Nick Buonaconte. I often say lots, but rarely say all. I neglected to mention Springfield birthed volleyball. Still, I fear my words suffer from your tough appraisal, for they don't specifically mention Theodore Geisel. To you, my friends V, I say, let's call a truce, for I in no way shall speak of or evoke that guy whose name you want me to say. Christopher Miller writes in, in your June 8th episode, you said something about month-old beef, saying it would be bad by then. Of course, you could have frozen beef lasting over a month, or you could have your dry-aged beef, not to mention beef jerky. So many month-old beefs. Chris from Montana. Yes, though, by frozen beef, you may mean this dispute between Denmark and Canada that has now thawed. A nearly 50-year conflict over this tiny island now resolved. 
Two friendly nations making peace at a time of war. Clearly what we're showing today is that um, you don't redraw boundaries on, through the barrel of a gun. I hope that message will get to President Putin, although I'm not naive about what messages he takes. Well, this must have been quite the diplomatic impasse with lives on the line to compare it to the Ukraine war. They've agreed to share Hans Island, a 1.3 square kilometer rock, barren, icy, and smack dab in the middle of the waters between Canada and Greenland. Oh, get off your diplomatic high horse, Canada and Denmark. A lesson for Putin? You guys spent 50 years squabbling over a barren rock off the coast of Antarctica. 50 years, no one lives there. No one goes there. The CBC spoke to one guy who once stood on it. There's nothing. It's worthless. There's no minerals. There is no oil in the waters next to it. Wow, diplomats, school us again on your advanced conflict resolution skills. Well, I don't understand why the Israeli... Oh, that's my classic dumb guy accent. This has never been done before. I will now say the dumb guy thing in the exalted English accent. I don't understand why the Israeli-Palestinian conflict is taking so long, for I know a guy named Shlomo and a fellow named Ahmed, and they once shared a falafel. Let them be a lesson. Also, the deal on Hans Island was that both countries get a piece of the island. Putin would definitely take that deal with Ukraine. Putin has killed tens of thousands of people to get in a possible position to achieve that status. But condescend to us again, Prime Minister of Denmark. This agreement shows the rest of the world how to solve disputes in a peaceful manner and in respect of international law and order. Okay, enough of that frozen beef. What about the beef jerky? That can last a month, but that's not beef. That's beef jerky. The quidness of it is jerky. Beef modifies jerky. Tiger shark's not a tiger. Caterpillar tractor's not a tractor. But you did provide me with a great segue about turkey. Curtis Earhart at Turco Americano writes, at Pescagist, FYI, the pronunciation is Turkey A, not Turkey Ya. I don't know. I just heard this. So did you for the first time, I think, ever. Here, let's listen to how the official video says it. Hello, Turkey! Hello, Turkey! I heard it a little bit both ways, but you're probably right. Turkey, yeah, I'll stick with the peruse. And now to the listener who did the most, gave the most back, elevated the discourse to the greatest degree. Still, a lot of people are weighing in on Country Roads as a song. It's not really being mostly in West Virginia, but just a couple of counties of West Virginia with the Shenandoah River. But someone alerted me to a bizarre version of that song that intersected with my lifestyle choices greatly. Take me home. New York, New York. Take me home. This is it, y'all. To a Madison Square. That is a 2007 song by Doug E. Fresh about the New York Knicks. So you get the Take Me Home Country Roads connection. And Douglas Edwards Freshowitz rings drama and pathos out of a simple formula. Great song as a backing track. And then just name different parts of the city. Food to my east side crew, west side crew. True New York is where orange and blue. To my Brooklyn crew, Harlem crew. True New York is where orange and blue. To my downtown crew, uptown crew. True New York is where orange and blue. 
to my Wall Street crew, courtside crew. To my Hell's Kitchen crew, rebranded as Chelsea North, but it didn't take crew. Jed Rosenberg was the one who alerted me to this song and also alerted me to the fact that the comments all love it. I don't know if I love it, but it's weirdly catchy, and I think it furthers our theory that Country Roads is one of the most versatile, universal, and easy-to-work-with songs in the world. The Henry Winkler of songs. The Boban Marjanovich of song. And you, Jed Rosenberg, are the lobstar of this particular and twin tig. That's it for today's show. Corey Wara is the assistant producer of The Gist. Joel Patterson is the senior producer of The Gist. Michelle Pascal once sang backup for both the Dead Kennedys and the Trash Can Sinatras, and she worked out a diss track between them. A lot of Marilyn Monroe references. The Gist is presented in collaboration with Libsyn's AdvertiseCast. For advertising inquiries, go to AdvertiseCast.com slash The Gist. Oomperoo, Jeeperoo, Dooperoo, and thanks for listening.